Hey, On She Goes listeners, Sarita here. Uh, for the next couple of episodes, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be doing what I like to call Franken episodes. We're piecing together some episodes from our season one with the host, Amina Tussauds, and also from uh, past seasons, seasons two and three as well. So please enjoy and stay tuned. You want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the podcast from On She Goes, a travel site for all women of color. I'm your host, Amina Tuso. Today's episode is all about displacement. What happens when you're uprooted and traveling out of need? My next guest is a true Instagram inspiration. My name is Nadia Abelhassan. I'm a fashion blogger, a designer, and a model. Despite her fear of flying, Nadia travels constantly for work. We get into that later, but first, I wanted to know more about her experience visiting Syrian refugees in Lebanon and what inspired her to go. I mean, I've, I've always wanted to go as a kid because my father's Lebanese, but the thing I love about social media is that you're able to see and hear news that you wouldn't necessarily hear, like on Fox News or CNN. So I wanted to make it a point myself to see what was happening because it was such a huge world crisis that nobody was really talking about because the media is so used to dehumanizing people who aren't basically white. So (laughs) I went over there myself to try to get an idea and and just met a a bunch of different refugees, families, women, children, saw different schools, and um, just sort of wanted to bring awareness to something that was close to me. Mentally and emotionally, like, how were you preparing for the trip? Because... I don't know, like working in refugee camps or even just going to see them, is it's really heavy. Yeah, I mean, I went for two weeks and I spent, you know, the majority of time with them and seeing different camps. But I mean, I don't think there is any way you can mentally prepare yourself for it. So, I mean, when I went there, the aid people you go with, they tell you, you know, you can't get emotional because they already know they have a bad situation right now, but they're going to feel even worse. So it's like you kind of have to put on the strong face for them to kind of give them hope, to think positive, and to thinking things are going to change for the better. So I just remember getting back to the hotel room, and, like, as soon as I opened up my door to my hotel room and shut it, I just started bawling my eyes out. You know, the first thing I did was get on my computer and just type out, like, a huge, like, essay of just everything I was feeling, and, like, you feel so privileged. Like, I remember at the time... I was about to get evicted from my apartment in New York that I was living in, and I thought I was going through, like, the worst time ever and this and that because I couldn't afford rent. Well, these people are going through 20 times worse than my worst. So it's like my worst doesn't become bad anymore, and it kind of just puts things into perspective for you. You know, you're so small in this world, and your issues that you think are big really aren't. So I just kind of was really grateful. Did you have to dress, like, fairly conservatively, and what was in your suitcase? I definitely am not in, like, a thong bodysuit like I am on my Instagram. But (laughs) (laughs) when I was a teenager, I would go to the mosque all the time and everything. But my family isn't really conservative. And um, Lebanon is basically half Christian, half Muslim. So, no, in Beirut, honestly, when I was there the whole time, I would just wear jeans and a T-shirt. My my luggage was sneakers, jeans, and a T-shirt. 
I knew That's I was your going mo- there. Model off duty uniform. I'm is... always off duty. <laughs> I wish you could see my outfit right now. I'm going to the gym after this. I have like leggings on and a and a black V-neck and sneakers. Yeah, I was just sneakers, jeans, and a t-shirt because I knew going over there that my main mission was for refugees. It wasn't to like party and all that. I, I think I had one dress. That's what I did. I had one dress and one night I took like I wrote on my Instagram like, um, if you're in Lebanon. I'll take like five of my followers out to dinner. So I, I met with five of my followers. Oh, that's and took cool. Them out to dinner. Yeah, so I had one red dress, and that's what we did. So this was your first trip to Lebanon, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's something really powerful about like, especially when you're a minority in America, about going back to, you know, like if you have a homeland, going back there and walking around and realizing that you are the majority there. Yeah. Everybody looks like you. Everybody talks like you. Everybody has your last name. Listen. I always think I'm so exotic in America. I'm like, oh, I got thick eyebrows, like, you know, I'm curvy and dark hair and this and that. And then I went over there and I'm like, well, I'm not shit because everybody looks good. Or, <laughs> I was like, everybody looks good or better than me. You know what I mean? Like everybody over here has big butts and big eyebrows and high cheekbones. So I'm just basic. Right. Over it's here. like all of the defining characteristics <laughs> of who you are are in the majority. So, you know, I guess my next question there is that like how has being a Lebanese American really shaped your identity or your career? You know what's crazy is I didn't when I grew up, I didn't think of myself as like different or an outcast because I grew up with minorities, so it wasn't me feeling different ever. It wasn't until I got into this fashion industry and was a part of the media basically that I started feeling like I was kind of different. And especially when I started traveling more, I guess after 9-11, everything got a lot more difficult and security issues when I travel overseas are, are a problem sometimes. But um, Really? Do you, have a lot of, do you have a lot of TSA and security issues when you travel? All the damn time. How much are you traveling for work, like on average? Like a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, all the time I would fly four or five times in different places. Just last month I was in LA, then I went to Montreal, and then from Montreal to New York, and then New York down to Florida, and then Florida back to, it's like a literally a circle around the United States. Jet Setter, what's on your travel playlist? I'm obsessed with how much you like Drake, <laughs> so I'm hoping to hear a lot of that. When um, Views came out and Life of Pablo came out, it's all I will play for like two months straight. And whenever I want to get in, like, my creative circle type thing, my creative mode, that's what I listen to. I like Kanye Champions. I listen to Gucci Man a lot. Old 90s R&B is always good for me. I really like Ray Shmurda Look Alive. I, I play that at the gym all the time when I'm there. That's my that's my travel jam. Is it? It's the only thing that calms me down before. So I have serious anxiety about flying, so I have, like, a... <laughs> I have a very neurotic playlist, but no. it has to go in the order that I want. And then <laughs> that song, it's five times in a row because that's how long usually it'll take from taxiing to oh my gosh. the plane takes off. And it's like, it's a human Xanax. It's perfect. I know. I'm just as terrified as fly- of flying. Like, believe it or not, I've become worse. So I assume you stay in a lot of like super nice hotels for these business trips. My room service is insane, though. Oh, my God. Tell us about room service. Let me say something. I already had to travel, so I'm out of my little comfort zone of my room. So then I just like don't want to leave. Everybody's like, oh, you're in another in a new country. You know, um, why don't you go explore? I'm like, or I could stay in my room and order room service. It's <laughs> 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 exactly what I do all the time. Like I'll be in London and I'll be like, oh, let's go out tonight. And I'll be like, oh, but I see the way my room service is set up. 
that I had to be inside the room <laughs> to get it. So, what do you like to get? Like, what's the like Nadia like room service special? The number one thing I get anywhere: chicken tenders and French fries. They have chicken tenders outside of America. Like, you uh, can get that on room service. Yes, yes. You're blowing my mind right now. I know they have. It's like universal everywhere. Chicken and French fries, no matter where you go, is gonna be good or decent. You know what I mean? Nadia, thank you so, so, so much for joining us. This was a delight. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. You know, I'm going to actually name my kid Amina one day when I have her. Yes. It's like literally. I'll tell everybody, I'll tell everybody you named her after, <laughs> after me you? after we did this podcast. That's, trust me, that's the lie. I'm going to tell everybody I know. We're going to start today's episode off with an interview I did with my good friend Catherine Kavari. Uh, Kat is a Persian woman living in Los Angeles. Uh, She's an actress. She's been featured on Insecure. She's going to be in season three coming up and was on seasons one and two. She's in Big Little Lies, as well as the voice of Miss Marvel, which is the first female superhero to have her own series and also the first Muslim superhero which is pretty cool Uh, Kat's a freedom fighter for herself and for others and she stands up for everything that she believes in so we're going to start off with that interview so Kat how are you today I'm good Sarita how are you today I'm well thank you so Catherine's going to talk to us today a little bit about being an Iranian woman in America traveling Uh, she obviously travels a ton for work uh, being the high-powered actress that she is and she's going to um, just give us some insight on what her life is like when she has to travel um, any kind of discrimination that she faces and I mean we're none of us are new to this at this point. Um, We kind of know that after 9-11, Middle Eastern women, Middle Eastern people in general are always being profiled and targeted, especially in the U.S. Is this something that you've encountered? Is it post? Is it pre? Is it, you know, tell me a little bit about what your opinion is on that. Sure. Well, really, I mean, it's very nuanced, I think, because I started traveling with my mom when I was very young. I think I was six the first time we went internationally. And my mom was not a citizen at that point. And so the first time I had experienced discrimination while traveling was with her as a child. And that was obviously pre-9-11 for me. Um, I just remember every time we'd go into an airport, as soon as they found out that she was Iranian, immediately our bags would get searched. And immediately my mother would get irate. And she would always go on a tirade like, oh, are you doing this because I'm Iranian? I know why you're doing this. And then I would chime in once I found out what was going on, like a little kid being like, I know why you're doing this. It's because we're Iranian, isn't it? It was me and my mom really like ganging up on TSA, which somehow they allowed us to do because what are they going to say? You know, they couldn't. Uh, they, they had to do with what they were going to do and we could just sound off. And that was about it. That was a very, very early memory of mine of knowing that we were different than the other passengers getting on the plane. We were going to be seen differently. Uh, I think post 9-11, my parents have their citizenship. When my father got his citizenship, he changed his name. His name was originally Ali Muhammad. He changed it to a very benign Alex. He even changed his last name. So my father and I do not have the same last name. 
He's got a whole new last name. I'm not going to say what it is, but it's not my last name. My last name is Kavari with a K-H Chavari. His is just some regular old white sounding last name <laughs> because he was sick and tired of, you know, being asked where he was from, what his job was. In fact, recently he was going on a domestic flight and he forgot his ID. So all he had was his Bank of America card with his picture on it. And he presented that. And they were like, okay, sure, pass through. And I said, Dad, because I, I would always give him a lot of shit for changing his name. Like, Dad, don't conform to the ideal. Like, be who you are. Be proud of who you are. But then when they let him go, I was like, oh, shit. If you had stuck to Ali Mohammed, blah, 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 Khavari, there was no way they would have. It's only because your name was Alex Smith or whatever. It's, it's basically Smith. Like, it's literally almost smith it's like such a benign last name like it's because that is your last name and he also he's like a darker dude but he could you know the thing about iranians is if you just look at us it could be anything it could be italian it could be brazilian Latino, some sort of whatever the only time that it becomes problematic is if you are of middle eastern descent and you're wearing some sort of garb that gives you away so if you got hijab on you're covering your hair in some way that's when it becomes the most problematic. But if you start trying to blend in, that's our privilege. We are able to blend in a lot of the times. And a lot of Iranians do take advantage of that. Hence my father. <laughs> yeah, I've seen your dad before. I definitely think he could uh, he could pass through. I mean, you got to admit, though, it's kind of smart. It's smart. I mean, it is smart. It pissed me off. It pissed my mom off. We were both like, what are you doing? And he's like, you don't understand. Like, I think at the time I didn't really appreciate it because I was like, what do you mean? Ali Muhammad Khabari, it's fine. But now, especially post 9-11, you know, I get it. Tell me, uh, do you think that it's more difficult for uh, women than it is for, for the men? It depends. I mean, if you're a Middle Eastern or Muslim or, you know, North African, you know, South Asian, whatever, Muslim who looks Muslim. I actually think that oftentimes men, because, you know, what you see in the media, what you hear in the media are male suicide bombers or male terrorists. So I think in some ways in that setting, men definitely are more suspect than women can be. But I think women with hijab on, everywhere else is you know you're looked down upon in the west by men and women women because they feel like they feel sorry for you and they're quote-unquote feminists who see you as you know weaker because you you're wearing that and uh men because well because they're just assholes so <laughs> tell me have you had any kind of experiences yourself um since you've been like an adult and I know you've been everywhere. I mean, where were you at? Like Tanzania? Tell me about some of the trips you've taken. Um, does it ever cross your mind? Do you think about it when you get into the airport? Like, oh my God, people are going to start discriminating against me. Or do people just not even know? Honestly, people, I, I blend. People don't necessarily know. On my passport, my birthplace is USA. For my friends who have a birthplace in Iran who moved here you know, when they were two or three or whatever, but it still has it in your passport where your birthplace is. I think for those guys, it's a little bit more iffy. But for me, my birthplace is USA. Sure, I have this Iranian last name, but I don't look like 
I am of Muslim descent. So I really haven't had those kinds of issues in the airport. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not nervous. Every time I go to Iran every year to visit my family, and especially post-dickhead president, I am always concerned coming back. My mom goes every six months. I'm always worried about her coming back too. Uh, fortunately, I haven't had any issues yet, which has been actually surprising and very, very nice. But every time I'm coming back from Iran or going there, I am nervous. I am extremely nervous. But I will say that there are certain areas that, you know, when I have traveled, I've, I have traveled around a lot. And, and when I have, I haven't gone to places that are, for example, one of my best friends, she's also Iranian. And she's got an uncle who lives in a part of Germany who's been living there for like, I don't know, 30 years. A part of Germany, he's a doctor there. Uh, an area that still has a lot of skinheads. And my friend grew up going there in the summers. And she would get stares all the time. Her cousins, who are half Iranian, half German, but look darker, they are constantly... I mean, just a few months ago, her, uh, her cousin was trying to go into a McDonald's in his neighborhood... And they, the, the guard at the McDonald's let all of his friends go, but wouldn't let him go in because he's just darker. And it's that type of place. His, his, her uncle's gotten, he's gotten assaulted many times by skinheads in Germany. So those are places that I haven't necessarily gone to. Now, where I, I did go recently and where I do go often is uh, northern England to the Lake District. It's also very, very white. My cousins live there. My uncle lives there. They're half Iranian, half uh, Scottish, but, you know, look very ethnically ambiguous or whatever. And there was never anything super overt, but there was one time where I was in a pub and I overheard one of, well, actually it was the barmaid or whatever. And she was going off on a rant about how like all Asians need to go back to where they came from. And Asians in there in England usually means like South Asian, Middle Eastern, whatever. Asians need to go back to their country. They don't belong here. I don't care if you if you were born here and raised here. You need to go back to where you came from. She wasn't saying it to me. She was just lamenting to the other patrons in there. But I remember hearing that and being like, oh, my God, like you have no idea. And that's the other part about blending in is people will say shit to you and in front of you. And maybe she would have said that in front of me, even knowing, you know, maybe she did know. I don't know what was going on in her head, but she was irate. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, you can't just say shit like this. And then I actually I had asked my cousin recently. I was like, when I went this past summer, you know, sometimes I wrap my hair just because it's, you know, cute. Being in such a, a homogenous place, I asked her, I was like, do you think I, should, I can wrap my hair? Like, is that cool? Because I don't want to like get into it with anyone. Or people get really drunk out here and get belligerent. And then her and her cousin or her and her, her friend started talking to each other. And her friend was like, listen, they might say some stuff to you, but don't worry. We got your back. And I was like, you know what? I'm not trying to get everybody stabbed this weekend. Uh, just, I'm just not going to wrap my hair. But just the fact that I had to ask, you know, and, and they had to discuss it and weigh the pros and cons of me doing that. And I'm like, it's just not worth it. So I just didn't. And that's not even something that's like necessarily cultural for me at all, but I just was more fashion. But even that could have been seen in a different way. But it's a shame that it has to be that. Um, you know, speaking of going to Iran every every year, you said you go, right? Um, every time you go, I feel like you bring back the most beautiful video or photos like ever, your Instagrams. 
it looks gorgeous there. It looks so fun and so awesome. And I would love to go there, just so you know. I would love for you to go there. I would love to take my friends there. That's like one of my dreams is to lead a tour with all of my friends. That would be the best I thing. I would love that. But I feel like people don't even consider going to a place like Tehran for a vacation or for to visit, like, you know, to check it out. I mean, the history, everything. I... I would be beside myself. I would love it. But like people, especially I think women of color are also in that group. I mean, let's dispel some of those those like thoughts and theories. I mean, people probably think it's super, super strict. I don't know. Maybe women are not going to be allowed to walk around and, and do as they please and so on. I mean, talk about your experiences going there. You always have such an amazing time. Yeah, I think Iran's one of those places that people just they know what they see on the media and what they see on the media is atrocious. So the first time I went to Iran, I was nine. And my mom says that it was, we used to watch the Iran-Iraq war on TV because I still had family there. My mom would always be watching the bombings that were happening, which was kind of a crazy thing to watch as a kid. But that was the image that I'd had of Iran of just like dirt and bombs. And my mom said I used to like point at the most dilapidated areas when we drive by and I'd be like, mommy, is that Iran? And she was like, oh, hell no. Like, I got to take this kid to Iran. (laughs) So the first time I went, I was nine and I've gone every other year almost since then and, and more frequently every year. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. It's surprisingly, for the West, very safe for women. I remember the first time I went there, I was walking down the street with you know, growing up in Oakland, I was, I was just like, wait, you guys just walk around here? Like, no one's going to come mug you? You're not going to get robbed? Like, I don't understand. What's, what is this? Like, no, no, it's super safe here. You just walk around by yourself. It's not a big deal. And that was really new to me because there was no way me and my mom were just going to walk around like Oakland back in the late 80s at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, very safe there. Uh, In terms of tourism, because the U.S. has such strict and stringent rules for Iranians coming to the U.S., the visa process is so difficult, and it has been since the revolution, Iran's policy is basically like reciprocation, right? So they make it just as difficult, especially for Americans, to go to Iran. Under Obama, things were actually starting to look like they were going in the right direction, but now You know, unfortunately, it looks like it might be going in the wrong direction again. But the fact is, though, once you're in the country, once you have permission to be there and there are a lot of speaking of Germans, ironically enough, there are a lot of German tourists in Iran. I mean, there are a lot of German tourists everywhere, but Iran actually has a lot of German tourists. Uh, Those are like the, the main kind of tourists that I see when I go there. They seem to be fearless in a lot of ways. But so, yeah, once you're in the country, this is something that people just don't know. Iranians love foreigners. They love foreigners. They especially love Americans. Iranians have had an obsession with Americans and American culture for decades. They watch American movies. Everyone speaks English really, really well. It's only gotten better. My cousin, who was born and raised there, speaks English so well with such an amazing accent, and she's never left. The only other country she's been to was Turkey, that it's unbelievable. She learned this all from just watching American movies. But it became really obvious to me when my husband and I, Carl, got married in 2009, and we went to Iran and had a wedding there, and his whole family came, his mom, and Carl is half Korean, half Jewish, his mom, his dad, 
his aunt and his brother, they all came to Iran. I got them visas to come there. And I admit I was nervous because I don't, I'd never taken an American there. I always go with my, I'm a dual citizen. I always go with my Iranian passport. It was never an, uh, a concern. So I think our whole family was a little, had a little bit of trepidation about it, but still not so much that we were like, don't go. Meanwhile, all of Carl's family, extended family members were so concerned about Carl's family and Carl's friends. They're like, are you sure you want to go, man? Is this a good idea? Like, I don't know. Be careful out there. People were so misinformed. They thought Iran was Iraq. Like, isn't there a war going on over there right now? Like, it was just so, so much ignorance surrounding that country. But when they came there, the first thing that happened was I had already got out of passport control. It was just I was waiting on Carl and his family and they were still in there. And I asked the guy at baggage claim and I was like, listen, I'm waiting for my husband and his family. They're still not out. What's going on? And he was like, where are they from? I'm like America. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to take an hour because when we go to America, they question us so much that we just basically do the same. They'll be out in an hour. And sure enough, they were out in an hour. And I asked them, I was like, how was it? Like, what did they say? Like, Nothing. We you know, chatted a little bit. They asked where I worked. We had a good laugh. It was really lighthearted. I'm like, okay, cool. And then the rest of the trip, they were just treated like royalty by people that realized where they were from, just strangers. I would try to serve as an interpreter and nobody wanted me. Everyone was like pushed me out of the way. Like, no, no, no. We want to talk to these people here. Everyone became so hospitable when they found out that not only were they foreigners, but they were also Americans. And actually, there was one theme that happened throughout the whole thing is that when when people would find out they were American, they're like, oh, it's such a shame that our governments don't get along. But we see past government. We see people. We understand your people are good. And Iranians have a very, very solid understanding of not uh, aligning a country's citizens with a country's politics and a country's government. And that to me was and Carl actually ended up writing a blog about it. It was called Kareem in Iran.blogspot.com, where him and his family wrote about their experiences in Iran. That's awesome. Have have you ever had experiences, um, or or has your family in Iran ever had experiences with women other women of color? that are there, like black women or, you know. Um... The th okay, so the thing about Iran is that there are black women of African descent in Iran. So Iranians have seen, and there are more East Asian looking people because Iran is so actually racially diverse. They are all Iranian under the you know umbrella of Iranian, but they have come from all over. There was a slave trade and there were business ties between East Africa and Iran. Uh, when we were there, we saw th there there was a basketball player who was from the U.S. who was living in Iran. He said, you know, actually, I got a lot of discrimination when I was playing basketball in, what was it, Latvia or something? He said people would yell racial epithets all the time at him while he was on the court. And it was like, Turkey was better. Iran, everyone's been really, really nice. I haven't felt different at all. I think Iranian hospitality sort of trumps any kind of inherent racism that they might harbor, which I'm sure they do. I mean, I think they have been bombarded with the same kind of media brainwashing that the rest of the world has been uh, exposed to, especially with respect to black people and black Americans. And uh, talk to me a little bit about the, um, the travel ban I know that, uh, well, first, let's talk about um, your Big Little Lies premiere dress. What did the dress say? 
uh, in big block white letters on a black dress, it said, my Iranian immigrant mother teaches your kids how to read. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So I remember when you, when you wore that dress, first of all, I mean, you're so brave and so awesome to take a stand like that and to use your platform for that. So kudos to you. And what were the reactions that you got? How did you feel? Were you nervous? Were you like, what were you feeling? Okay, well, first of all, it was the most nervous I think I've ever been in my life. I don't have a name as an actor right now. I didn't know how people were going to react. I didn't know who was going to get pissed off. I was going into it completely not knowing what the reaction was going to be. But I was also extremely angry. And the anger outweighed the fear in a lot of ways. And I felt like I couldn't just not say anything and just pretend like everything was okay, especially because it was the premiere was right around the time of the Muslim ban. It was happening right then. I think the day of the premiere was the day that also Betsy DeVos had just gotten sworn in. And and so there was it was twofold is that my mom's a teacher and she's also an Iranian immigrant. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the most nervous I'd ever been. I, I cried a lot. There was a lot of me just trying to tell myself not to be selfish and just do it, man. If you're angry, you gotta you gotta say something. You can't be silent about it. So, yeah. And then the reaction afterwards actually was very supportive. It was better than I thought it was gonna be. People were super supportive about it. I got a lot. There was a lot of coverage on it. Surprisingly, there were obviously trolls. There were a lot of hateful and abusive comments on Instagram. It was a it was a very anxiety filled week and a half, two weeks. But you know, it's the internet, so everyone forgot it after the second week. It was people had moved on <laughs> to the next thing. To use your own voice to like stand up for yourself and to make a statement. And the fact that you did that, you stood up for everyone when you did that. And I think that's really awesome. Um, I want to wrap up a little bit, but I want to ask you to let the people know where they can find you. <clears throat> you can find me, um, um, either I have a website, katherinekavari.com, and my name is spelled Catherine, two, with two E's. So anyways, uh, there's the website, and then on Instagram, I'm Catherine Kavari, and Twitter, which I actually use my official Twitter just to go off on companies and uh, politicians, so it's not that exciting. But that one's also Catherine Kavari. <laughs> nice, and thank you so much for joining me and joining us. We really appreciate it. And um, people, everyone, follow Kat. She's amazing. If you need someone that knows how to stand up for themselves and for other people, she's the one. Thanks, Sarita. <laughs> <laughs>